Good afternoon again. Just want to welcome everybody to the Restoration Series. I want to start with a word of prayer and let's ask God's blessings upon this time. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that this is the day that you have made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Thank you, God, for a day of opportunities, a day to praise you, a day just to follow your Spirit's guidance. We pray that Providence would continue to lead us and guide us to all the things you would have us to take advantage of for today. And especially we pray for the Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a reminder, there's a little bit of food left. How many people are enjoying this Indian dish? By the way, this came under no recommendation from me, but I think it's really nice that you guys be, are able to experience some of my culture's food. Um, there is an Indian restaurant by my church where I pastor at, and I always tell people, um, I say, hey, if you ever come by through that town and you look me up, we're going to go to this Indian restaurant. And whenever you eat Indian food, there's one big problem, and that is this. You will feel like cement afterwards for about two hours. So if you get a little bit sleepy in your class, all I can say to you is probably the Indian food. So make sure you get a little bit of exercise and walking after this message. All right, today's message is going to be about Jacob and Rachel. Jacob and Rachel, considered one of the best love stories of all the Bible. Now here's the thing about sort of this uh, restoration series at noon, just sort of the, the plan. I want you guys to understand something. If you come once, it's very difficult to try to explain all that you need to know about biblical kinds of romance. So you may show up and you may hear one thing, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world did I just walk into? Here's the thing, make an effort that you're going to be there consistently so you're able to see what we're going to be covering. In fact, next week, I'm going to be taking a slight uh, turn, and I'm actually going to be talking about, get ready for this, actual biblical forms of courtship. I heard a little bit of groaning. <laughs> heard a little bit of praise there, too. Make sure you are here next week, Okay. Because, you know, in talking to many of you, I've come to discover that I am dealing with a spectrum of people here. People who have had education in these kinds of things. People who have not had education in these kinds of things. People who come with, uh, from a background of being very churched and educated, uh, uh, you know, with uh, the whole biblical deity or courtship principles. And people who've been exposed just a little bit. But either way, you're going to come here and you're going to learn something. Because I believe God's Spirit wants to reveal some special things for these times. Let's take a good look at the story of Jacob. This is the story of a very interesting man in scripture. Somebody whose life is full of deception. In fact, Jacob, when he was born, his whole life was already surrounded by deception. His very name means supplanter. He's coming out and he was trying to get ahead of his brother. So Jacob, right from the very beginning, had this reputation of being a deceiver. He gets a little bit older, grows up, working at, in his dad's camp, and he tries by deception to try to take the birthright. And many of you guys know the story of Jacob. Jacob ends up eventually getting caught. Everyone is angry at Jacob. Here he is at the prime of his life, and it seems like now all of plans, all of his plans, his purposes, have utterly been destroyed. The family's giving him trouble now. The Bible says that his brother was comforting himself, thinking about ways he could kill Jacob. The parents were disappointed. The father was disappointed. 
People in the camp were thinking all sorts of things about Jacob. And here he is. He has just messed up everything in the prime of his life. And all of a sudden, his father tells him, you need to go away from this camp and you need to go find a wife. Interesting, generations prior, when Isaac went to go, sent, when Abraham sent his serving out to go find a wife for Isaac, he sent this train of camels and all these supplies and all these resources. But when Jacob is sent out, he's sent out alone. No supplies. Isaac thought he'd teach him a lesson. And so here's where the story picks up. So Isaac sent Jacob away. He went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And as he's making this long journey to find his spouse, here he is in the middle of the desert. And you can just imagine what this must be like. The depression, the darkness, the fear. Can you imagine raiders or wild animals coming out in the middle of the night? He's here in the middle of this barren desert, and he go, tries to go to sleep on a rock. Okay, this is none of those ergonomic pillows you get from the chiropractor, okay? This is just a rock that he is laying on, alone. Everybody doesn't like him anymore. His plans seem very mysterious. He's wondering if even God himself has cut off Jacob's spirituality. Have you ever felt like that before? Just kind of feel like you're in that spot, you're in that hole where you're wondering, God, I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place right now. I'm getting pressures over here, pressures over here, and I have no clue where I am going in life. That's exactly how Jacob felt. One of the most powerful patriarchs in all of Scripture, he went through a time of darkness. And here he is. Couldn't go any lower. Sleeping on a rock, completely alone, in the middle of a desert, with nothing to show. No riches, no money, nothing. And wondering, what in the world is he going to encounter? But what was so unique, it was at this moment that God poured out his glory. You know, it's oftentimes in the darkest moments that we grow the most. Where we receive God's revelation the clearest. Rather have it different. But the truth of the matter is, we're not receptive usually. And so when these tough times come, all of a sudden we're humbling ourselves and we're turning to God. But God rather you do that in the daytime as well. Amen? Amen? Turning to Him and trusting to Him. And here Jacob sees in the middle of the night, he sees this ladder going up. And there he sees angels going up and down the ladder. And there at the top he sees Jesus. And Jesus reaffirms his commitment to Jacob and the purposes and plans that he has for Jacob. And he reminds Jacob that he is still going to carry out God's plans for his life even in spite of everything that he has destroyed. Amen, Amen right? You know, when I was actually going, when I was in Southern California visiting my mom, you know, there's a lot of economic problems taking place in the area that I'm from you'll find a lot of these ghost towns. Ghost towns are basically where there was a lot of construction taking place. People are building houses, hoping that people be able to um, go into those houses, buy those houses, or rent those houses. And all of a sudden, the housing market just slumped. And so what you will oftentimes see as you're going through these so-called ghost towns, you will see a lot of construction uh, equipment that's just lying there. And you can tell the equipment has just been there for a long, long time. Now I want you to think about this for just a second. Here you are, you're driving by, and all of a sudden, you see this ghost town, you see maybe this building, and there's these fences, and there's these trash cans that are full of just, you know, a bunch of junk or supplies, and you see some equipment that looks a little bit rusted, and you see some ladders going up into the second story, but you don't see anybody on that ladder. What do you assume? 
What do you assume? Abandoned. It's abandoned. Construction has stopped. However, if you were to see those, you would see people on those ladders, what would you assume? The construction is still going on. And so here, Jacob, you know what he begins to see? He sees angels going up and down the ladder, indicating to him that God's purposes and plans were still taking place. Can you imagine that? What Jacob needed to see was that God was still working behind the scenes, even though what was available to him, he could not see or grasp anything that was taking place. Jacob was given a revelation of God's purposes and plans for his life. And whether you feel like you're in the darkness or in their light, I want you to understand something. God is still working on your behalf. Can you say amen to that? You can have trust and confidence. If you commit yourself to Jesus, he will fulfill the purposes for you. Amen? Amen. The Bible talks about angels. They are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation. We need to understand angelic ministry like never before. Now, here's where the story begins to take a very interesting twist. Right after Jacob has that really spiritual, powerful experience, he continues with courage and hope. And all of a sudden, this is where the romance begins to start. Your favorite part. And Jacob said to them, here he is, he's coming across some people, and there he finds some shepherds. And look what he says to these shepherds. And Jacob said to them, now notice this, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. Now watch this. And look, his daughter, who? Rachel is coming with the sheep. But notice this, Jacob is not paying attention. He's focusing on something else. He begins to see a problem. Here's his problem. He's watching all these sheep right here with their shepherd, and they're just lying around this well. What do we say about wells, ladies and gentlemen? It's where you meet your spouse, right? Now notice this. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But watch the problem that they share with him. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone away from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, Jacob was a very industrious person. Do not forget that word. What was that key word? industrious kind of person. He was a problem solver, very resourceful. He was not somebody who waited till everything was right. When he saw a problem, he jumped in there and he wanted to minister. You can see these are things that his father taught him. And so here's the situation. You have this well that's covered by a giant rock. And these shepherds are just sitting alongside waiting for the other shepherds to show up so they can have this kind of team push to roll this stone off this well. This is how they kept the wells from being contaminated by animals. And so they were just waiting around, waiting for the other shepherds to show up. And he notices it's the hottest part of the day. And he's thinking to himself, what in the world are they doing? The sheep are probably going to suffer. Some of them are going to get dehydrated. Some of them might get sick. And he says to them, he's like, wait a minute. What are you guys waiting for? Now, this is where the story begins to become even more unique. Take a good look at this. Right in the middle of this conversation and instruction he's ha having with these amateur shepherds, now while he was still speaking with them, now notice this, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a she was a shepherdess. Let me, t let me ask you a question. What was Rachel's profession? She was a shepherdess. Obviously, you're reading it right there. Good. 
Now notice this. And it came to pass, notice this part. When Jacob saw Rachel, you can just imagine this part in slow motion, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone away from the well's mouth. <laughs> when I was going college, you know the time, when, the time we played basketball the hardest? <laughs> it was when the female students showed up. And they were watching. And all of a sudden we had this superhuman strength. That's precisely what happens to Jacob. Notice this. Here he is. He's just watching the situation. All of a sudden, he like looks and he's like... And he's... You know, and he like begins to roll this stone off and all the shepherds are watching the whole thing. And they're just like, it took 10 of us to do this. And this one man has apparently this superhuman strength. It's called love, ladies and gentlemen. Most powerful force in the world. Amen? But notice this also. He's not just, you know, thinking about Rachel. Look what it says right here. And when he saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his bro mother's brothers, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone away from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob just didn't notice Rachel, but he also noticed her what? Flock. To teach you something about trying to gain the attention of somebody of the opposite sex. It includes being interested in their ministry. Mm-hmm. You guys are looking at one of the most romantic biblical patriarchs, and he knew what he was doing. As soon as he saw Rachel, but he was like, okay, I got to do this. And he saw Rachel's sheep. He was like, okay, I need to do this. I'm sure there was unselfishness that was part of that principle. And he cared about her already. But take a good look at the way the story begins to go. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. <laughs> I mean, think about it. He's just like, oh my goodness. And he just kisses her and he starts weeping. Something amazing is taking place here. Jacob is realizing something that probably Rachel has no idea what's going on. She's beginning to realize the providences of God. A lot of times we think to ourselves, you often hear, you know what, you just got to do it. Don't wait for God's providences. But this story is a clear indication that his providences can work on your behalf if you are patient and trusting. That by no means takes away what your responsibility is. Can you say amen to that? Amen. But I also want you to notice this. As Jacob like kisses her, he begins to weep. There's this overwhelming emotional response. I'm going to tell you a true story. I have a very good friend. He's one of my best friends. He shall remain unnamed, and hopefully he's not listening to this message. My friend is in seminary. He's married. And uh, he grew up in, you know, Adventist background, Adventist schools, went to PUC, and he was working as a pastor. And he was always praying about, you know, the woman he would marry because she would play an intricate role in his ministry. And I was always gauging his life as sort of an experiment. I always thought, I wonder how this is going to turn out. <laughs> and one day, he gets asked to do some kind of ministry in Oregon, to go up there to speak for a week of prayer. 
And this is what he told me took place. <laughs> I still laugh when he tells me this. He gets there, right? And he's in that church. And he's there, and he's just waiting to go up to the preach. And all of a sudden, he sees this young lady. And she's part of this singing group. And he had this impression this was his wife. And do you know what this brother starts doing? He starts weeping. <laughs> when he told me that, I was just like, you girl, I can't believe that. You're crying? But here's the thing. And I say this because I was secretly envying him. But, you know, like, here he is. He was there. He was just seeing her. And he knew this was the one. He just had this, in, you know, powerful impression. He was already a little bit aware of her background and knew a little bit about her. But who she was, I mean, he hadn't had that opportunity to fully get to know her. But as he saw her, this deep, hard impression came upon him, and he just actually began to cry. And he said he turned around and was just like weeping like Jacob, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Now, I know that it's not always perfect love stories. Amen? Love is kind of a strange thing, and sometimes things don't turn out as smoothly as they should. In fact, when you read the rest of the story of Jacob, you find out it doesn't turn out so smoothly. But this is helping us to understand some things. There are no perfect relationships in the Bible except for the one Jesus had with his father. Think about all the relationships that exist in all, in all scripture. Think about them. And you will always find trouble. Moses, his wife had a little bit of trouble. Abraham, Rebecca had some trouble. Isaac, his wife had some trouble. Jacob, his wife had some trouble. You name it, there's trouble within relationships. Why? Because we're living in a fractured creation. We're living with sin in ourselves and sin in other people. And there's going to be difficulties. But ladies and gentlemen, if two people are submissive to the Spirit of God, they can work through those issues. Amen. They can work through those issues. But it's important to make sure that both of you have that same kind of commitment. Now, let's continue with this story. Right after this takes place, now look what the Bible says. Jacob goes to his father, or to her father, and he says, look, hey, I'm interested in being here. And Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger what? Daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Now watch this next phrase. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And you're going to take a good look at one of the most beautiful verses. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And by the way, tonight I'm going to expand this on a grand macrocosm scale. You don't want to miss it. Of why that verse is super important. Here Jacob is, he's working seven years. You know, back then in the Old Testament's time, and still present in the Eastern cultures, they had something that was called a dowry. Do you guys know what a dowry is? Who knows what a dowry is? Yes, what's a dowry? It's basically money that's given at the time of marriage. It's money given at a time of marriage, but what is it supposed to communicate? Worth? The ability, who said that? The ability to take care of the wife. You know, back then when, you know, fathers were releasing their daughters to some stranger, they had to have some indication that that stranger was not going to abuse his daughter or just treat her as a slave. So there would be this dowry price that would come, and that dowry would be a communication that I am well able to take care of her. 
I have some kind of business, some kind of means to be able to do this. In fact, when you read the book Patriarchs and Prophets, it's actually spoken favorably of. Now, we don't live in a culture today where you go and you pay $10,000 to your, you know, possible spouse's, you know, uh, father or mother. But there's still a principle we need to understand, and that is this. We need to make sure that we know how to run our finances. Now, you may think, oh, come on, I really know what I'm doing. Do you want to know what is one of the number one causes of divorce? It is money. Now, you may think, I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to make plenty of money. I want you to understand something. I know a lot of doctors who are having financial troubles right now. A lot. And ever since this economic slump, I have seen them turn and become different-faced people. Their countenances have fallen. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something we need to understand, and this is what I believe God is wanting us to really grasp, and it is this principle. Each one of us needs to learn the principle of being economical. Who knows what that phrase means, or that word means, being economical? Yes? Staying within your economic means and saving for the future. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Okay, I'm going to embarrass somebody. Anybody here own a BMW? Okay, Timothy, I'm going to pick on you right now. No, 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 I'm not going to pick on him. But I want you to understand something. Here's the thing. You are not going to stay in Loma Linda forever. Amen? Amen. More amens than that, right? (laughs) You're like, it's comfortable here. Eventually, you're going to leave. And you're going to be part of the church. And that is God's plan for you. You are called to go out and spread and carry an influence of godliness wherever you go. You are going to be a representation of godliness to this secular, to this uh, world that is living in unbelief about who God really is. Therefore, every part of your life is going to be analyzed. And what you do carries weight. It absolutely carries weight. I've been a pastor six years. I pastor a very multicultural, very diverse area. And the polarization of wealth is very apparent in the area that I'm from. And there are judgment calls on people. May not be the reality, but there are judgment calls on people. And certain things are expected or seen about other people. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to understand something. God is calling each one of us to learn the lesson of how to be good stewards with God's money. It's all God's money, amen? Amen. And he wants to teach us that, that we need to be good stewards. And by the way, for you men, I'll tell you this. It's extremely important that you begin to learn how to save. Oh, one time I got a lot of people angry at me. Want to tell you how I did that? I told everybody, I told the men, I said, here's the thing. Before you get married, you better have at least $10,000 in your bank account. I heard all this groaning from the men. (laughs) Now, I know what it's like to be in the medical community, okay? I have sisters who are in the medical community. I know what that debt is like. I mean, that takes, you know, everlasting to finish off, okay? I totally get that part. But there should be a significant amount saved. And the reason why is you are teaching your children, your future children, you're showing your wife and the people around you an example of being a good steward of God's money. You should also learn to be people who give generously. 
And as you give generously, you'll find the blessings will come back and you will realize you can't outgive God. It is the most generous kinds of people that are the most attractive kinds of people in this world. And this is something that God wants us to understand. And this principle of learning how to have proper finances, being good stewards of God's money, and helping us to be generous. I want you to start praying about this. And saying, Lord, what can I do with your money? How can I be a good steward of this? How can I use this and appropriate the funds that would honor you? You will find God's blessing. Look, my job is just to tell you principles. It is your job to go home and pray about how to inculcate those principles in your life. You are smart, educated people. I can totally tell this. Talk to you. You are wonderful. You're intelligent. I can see you are individuals who have your own kinds of convictions. Praise the Lord for that. But as you grow up older and as you get out into the world, you're going to find you're going to be dealing with all sorts of, kind, all sorts of pressures. And you need to model. And just for your own sake, have this example of having, uh, being someone who is economical. Here's another thing I want to point you guys to. Powerful things. Thinking about this word, industrious. This is found in Adventist home. Let a young woman, women, listen up. Let a young woman accept as a life companion only one who possesses pure, I love this phrase, manly. <laughs> Amen, Vasa? Traits of character. One who is diligent, aspiring, and honest. One who loves and fears God. Shun those who are irreverent. Shun one who is a lover of idleness. The key word here, ladies and gentlemen, is industrious. You know, back then, um, do you know that we have these stages of growth? You have boy, then you have adolescence, and then you have, you can say late teens, and then you have adults. Back in the Jewish community, there was boy, then there was man. <laughs> We've actually inserted that category in the last 70, 60, 70, 80 years of adolescence. Well, they're not really a man, but they're not really a boy. They're kind of in between, so we just got to be a little bit flexible for the, with them. Here's the thing. We've so extended that out. Now you have 60, 70-year-old men who are still playing video games. You better believe it. Go to their house. It's what they do for fun. And it's 60 years old. It is. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we've lost this ability to be industrious. You know, let me ask you a question. How many men here have ever changed a car tire? Okay. Praise the Lord. How many men here have built something out of wood? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Praise the Lord. You know, when I asked this, yeah, when I asked this to a high school, I just wanted to let you know about the future. When I asked this to a high school, this is our future, most of the hands didn't go up. I said, you never change a tire? They're like, no. When I was like 13 years old, my dad would be like, get outside and go change that tire. <laughs> and I was freaked out always about the car. And this was back in the day when he didn't have those power jacks. I mean, he just lifted up and popped it on these things that always seemed to be kind of wobbling. And I was freaked out. My dad said, change it. And I learned how to change that tire. It was just a simple thing. My dad had this MO of doing things. When the car broke down, he would say this, you try to fix it. 
Fail, you try to fix it again. Third thing is, you go get a friend and you try to fix it again. <laughs> then the last resort was to take it to the mechanics. That was the last resort. We'd be working on like problems with the car for weeks because my dad was determined to not take this to another place. We're now living in a society where something goes wrong. It's like, gee, I don't know what to do here. I better call the plumber. Here's the thing. We've got to try to learn how to be problem solvers. This is what industrious is all being all about. Someone who's not just being economical, but someone who is saying, you know what, I am going to attempt to solve this problem before I go to some professional. I envy the generations that have gone before us. You want to know why? Because they were like hunters, construction workers, mechanics. They were like military men. They were like, you know, everything under the sun. And there's just like old men that are walking with canes and they can do everything. You know what I'm talking about, right? We have lost that. I know we don't live on farms anymore, but here's the thing. There are opportunities that you can take advantage of while you are in this phase of life. Women, it's your turn. <laughs> men, listen up. There's some men clapping here, okay. <laughs> Notice this. Let a young man seek one to stand by his side. By the way, what was Rachel? She was a what? This woman knew what it was like, right? She's out there alone with the sheep, wow. taking care of them. <laughs> I mean, really, she was somebody who probably had to be... Think about David when he was taking care... He was fighting off lions and bears. And here she is. She's a shepherdess. Let a, young one, let a young man seek one to stand by his side who is fitted to bear her share of life's what? Burdens. I'm going to ask the question to the men. Men and women, you can't say anything here. <laughs> men, you tell me from your perspective what that means. Ladies, I want you to listen up to this. You're very wise not to raise your hand. <laughs> Come on, somebody here. Somebody here. Tell me real quickly. There's only a few minutes left. Come on. Stress from work. What is it? Stress from work. So that phrase right there. One who is willing to stand by his side, who is fitted. The key word is fitted, a phrase to bear her share of life's burdens. What did you say that means? Um, part of it's stress from work, stress from your commitments. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? What does that phrase mean? Someone who's willing to share life's burdens. Fitted. Yes. Basically, they help you with everything. <laughs> <laughs> Can you be more specific? Can you be even more specific than that? Okay. Make the food. You mean it's a team effort? Okay. Okay. How about you over there in the corner? Women, listen up. Mmm. Let me tell you something. I know about some women here. Not here, but I have some friends. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And I'm not recommending this to you. Don't you dare tell anybody this is what Pastor Nell says. I know some women 
carry guns. Okay, now, okay, you're like, okay, what's so cool about that? I'm not done yet. <laughs> These women, when a car breaks down, the first thing they do is they do the check. They know how to check the engine out. The tire, you know what they do? They get out there, pull out the jack, and there they take that wheel off and they put a brand new wheel on there. I know women like that, and it's intimidating. <laughs> That's why it's like, okay, I got to make sure I know more than them. But here's the thing. You know, someone gave some very interesting principles that are very practical for our day. She said this. She said, she lived about over 100 years ago. She said, every woman should know how to change a wheel on a carriage. Translating to our day, every person, every woman should know, woman should know how to change a wheel on a Har Honda Civic. Amen. There was no jacks back in the day, okay? That was very difficult. And so this is something that women need to take advantage of. They can't be like all, you know, very, I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> Seriously. You know, there was somebody, I had a friend who, she, she broke up with her boyfriend, and she was wondering, what do I do in life? And I said, you go get yourself an education. You learn to become independent. Don't you wait till some boyfriend comes along. You need to keep going on with your life, and God will take care of that stuff. Women and men, this is the time, the opportunities you are having right now are going to be so available that they will be diminished as you get older. But you have so many opportunities now to try to learn and grow in life's responsibilities. Both Jacob and Rachel were people like that. Jacob knew when there was a problem. He even knew how to tend the sheep. And Rachel was somebody who was a shepherdess. There were people who knew what life was all about and the hard responsibilities. This is something I really want to challenge you guys on. One whose influence will ennoble and refine him and one who will make him happy in her love. Will the one you bring, Mary, bring happiness to your home? Is she an economist? Or if, will she, if Mary, not only use all her earnings, but all of yours to gratify a vanity, a love of appearance? Has she anything now to depend upon? Anything now to depend upon. But these things should be duly considered for they have a bearing upon your future life. In your choice of a wife, study her character. Will she be one who will be patient and painstaking? Ladies and gentlemen, I really want to encourage you more than ever before to take advantage of life's opportunity to grow in skill, in opportunity to become people who are independent. It doesn't mean you're not going to get married. It doesn't mean if you're married already or if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that you shouldn't be thinking about these things. Regardless of whatever phase you are in, now is the time to learn and to grow of all of life's responsibilities. Can you say amen to that? I want to end with this final point. When Jesus was a young man, the Bible says something very remarkable about the categories of growth in his life. The child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Take a good look at this. This is Jesus' growth. He was growing strong in spirit. In other words, spiritually he was growing. He was filled with wisdom. He was growing intellectually. He was growing spiritually. His parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Jesus, as a young man, realizes his destiny, and he begins to witness to a group of people. He engages in this very special kind of ministry, and as he engages from that special ministry, he leaves, and then look what the Scripture says about him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with what? 
there is a new category of growth that is now part of Jesus' life. He is now growing intellectually, he is growing physically, he is growing spiritually, and now he is growing socially. What made the difference? Jesus began to do ministry. One of the best preparations for marriage and while you are in marriage to keep the happiness is to engage in ministry opportunities. You will be faced with obstacles and problems and situations. And as you overcome those things, you will find yourself learning in many different areas. How many people today want to say, I want to take advantage of all the opportunities God has for me? Raise your hand if it's like, I want God to prepare me for life's responsibilities. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this short time. But Lord, we pray that we would think upon these things. That we would just make it a determination in our heart that we are going to be all that you called us to be. Because Jesus, you have poured out your salvation to us. Bless each person with rich opportunities. Even today, may it come to them for them to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you tonight. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.